0: thousands of years ago, in 1992. Far before the advent of CGI effects, I was a young boy growing up in rural Pennsylvania. Due to my undeveloped, prepubescent loins, my appetite at the time wasn't for carnal pleasures of the female flesh, but instead focused on one thing and one thing only, dinosaurs many fortnights and hunters moons ago there was a cry in hollywood for equal representation for minorities and silly women in motion pictures but in 1992 the least represented demographic on screen was surely dinosaurs (laughs) 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 you're gonna have to clean that up (laughs) dan just spit a beer all the way out of his nose (laughs) This is not how we can start this episode. Dan just spit a beer all the way out of his nose all over the ground. This is already the best episode ever. Um I guess I should just continue this intro while he figures out how to clean it up. <laughs> I'm going to need you not to drink during this, okay? I need you full support here, buddy. <laughs> Many Fortnites and Hunter's Moons ago, there was a cry in Hollywood for equal representation for minorities and silly women in motion pictures. Nay, instead in 1992, the least represented demographic on screen was surely dinosaurs. As a tempestuous dinosaur-horny youth, finding my fix was never easy. nay this was eons approximately one year from the release of jurassic park and to the mild-mannered dino fan there wasn't much content to behold looking to get a massive hit i would scour the halls of my drugstore slash video store combo down the street looking for any sign or shred of my scaly brethren (laughs) i wish you were laughing into the microphone but you're cleaning up like your vomit (laughs) you're cleaning up vomit right now so i'm gonna let it go um there was the doomed Carnosaur series, which were B-grade horror movies masquerading as light sci-fi. Of course, the classics always prevailed, with the seminal 1925 blockbuster. Citro. <laughs> <This> <laughs> with the seminal 1990, 1925 blockbuster, The Lost World, giving me my first real taste of dino ecstasy. Did you say
1: 1925?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to watch the 1925 Lost World movie over and over again. Um, because I just want dinosaurs so badly. Nay, my... (laughs) Nay, my young mind doth wanted more. So nextly I discovered, nay, unsheathed, a VHS tape that bleweth my fragile and putty-soft psyche. The box art depicted a behemoth T-Rex fighting a triceratops with the words The Last Dinosaur emblazoned on the box. This movie would become my childhood comfort, my muse, my confidant when things got harrowing. It was a yarn that, was fo- that followed the exploits of a handsome, devilishly smart, and fiercely courageous hunter named Mastin Thrust, as he valiantly tracked and hunted a dinosaur in the center of the earth. Drama was unforgettable. The performances as solid as a bedrock, and dinosaur effects that would stay with me like the shadow left behind by a person who was incinerated by a nuclear blast. <laughs> and then fate intervened, and time passed, and honestly, Jurassic Park. And soon enough, I began to forget the last dinosaur. VHS tapes began to disappear like the sad missing baubles of a youth all but spoiled. <laughs> Years passed. Things changed, and as I grew, I left The Last Dinosaur behind like that man-child Andy who kept abandoning his toys in those fucking Pixar movies. And now, this film, The Glory, The Last Dinosaur, has returned to me. The VHS tape has been recovered from my mother's basement, and lo and behold, trillions of years have passed, and now I run a bad movie podcast out of my noble basement. After all this time, it is time for me to return to 1977's The Last Dinosaur, hopefully, God willing, for the last time. This has come back into my life like a cancer coming out of remission, or like a group of Nazis storming back into a house they just cleared out to shoot the floorboards. Without further ado... (laughs) 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 Uh, I gotta get through this. Without further ado, on behalf of the Movie Blues podcast, I'm Dan Lyons. And I'm Dan And, <laughs> and we are proud to present the last dinosaur.
2: He's got the spear stuck in. It. If you he- hadn't yelled back there and spoiled my first shot, we would have had it. But Maston, you told me, you swore to all of us that we were not gonna harm the dinosaur. We were only supposed to take film and study it. Ding dong! We were about to get killed over there!
0: So, ladies and gentlemen, um... If we can possibly get through this episode, uh, this is episode nine of the Movie Blues Podcast. Um, this is our last dinosaur special. Um, we're basically going to be looking at one movie and discussing one thing today. Um, we will be discussing that film pretty in depth. And then we are going to have an interview with the star of the actual film, um, Joan Van Ark. Um and uh we're going to have her call in and we're going to ask her all sorts of fun stuff about this movie and potentially embarrass ourselves we're going to try to be really cordial and uh we're very happy to have a guest. It's very good to have a guest who people know about, who yeah. like my friend Stephen Lasker knew from yeah. Knott's Landing right off the bat was like Joan Van Ark. Yeah. So, and she's on Mash, which is a she, dance she was, show. She, she was on an episode
1: of Mash. Let's look. It was the best episode. It's a very good one. It's from season two. It's called <laughs> uh, Radar's Report. It's a good episode. I believe it's a episode. I want to say like thirty seven of the series, thirty seven
0: in a row. Mash cast baby baby. Um. So. Uh, as I said it had is- that spawned from yeah, the this from the podcast.
1: It happened growing. on the podcast. Mm-hmm. He brought up this movie mm-hmm. for the umpteenth time that I've heard you bring up this movie. <laughs> and I was like, We have a podcast, maybe we can get someone.
0: And so, you were so, dead on. So
1: I tried and quickly discovered that nobody involved in the making, producing, set design of this movie is still alive.
0: So we just went Besides, for the stars, baby.
1: Well, yeah. So I, I bypassed, initially I bypassed the two leads because I was like, well, there's no way I'm going to get the leads of The Last Dinosaur. So I was trying to find like a DP or something, mm-hmm. but they were all sadly passed. Mm. So went out on a whim. Mm.
0: And, you whimmed right. And now, we, now we've hit the big times. For somebody who just threw up on my carpet, you're <laughs> very thorough, very honest guy. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, basically I watched this movie. I was crazy about it when I was a kid because, it was, again, it was one of the only movies with dinosaurs in it. Um, and then I did not see it until this past year. Uh, and in watching it, realized that it is thoroughly, thoroughly ridiculous um, in almost every way imaginable. Um, and it is fun. And it is a pleasure to watch, and um, I think that, well, I would say we both uh, very much enjoyed watching it, even though it is, you know, a silly kind of older movie, but we did get our jollies out of it, which we will uh, (laughs) go into. So, um, basically, as I mentioned in the intro as well, uh, this movie... (sighs) It's about a hunter. It's about a, a a billionaire industrialist. It's about a playboy billionaire industrialist named Maston Thrust. Yeah, uh, it sure is. about Played Mastin by uh, a very drunk and dehydrated looking <laughs> Richard Boone, who is just wild in this movie. Um, and it's one of those movies, uh, like The Room. It's one of those movies where you have an actor that thinks they are doing a certain kind of portrayal. They think they're being charismatic. They think they're being heroic. They think they're handsome and dashing. And the reality is so far from that that it creates like a time suck paradox where while you're watching it, it's tough to believe like what you're seeing because the guy who's supposed to be this billionaire industrialist genius is essentially a drunk mumbling deeply ornery, upset person who spends the entire movie berating every character around him and being just generally an ass. It's like Charles Bronson trying to play Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's wild. It's definitely a take.
1: Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> it's like he, this man treats women the way James Bond treats women while looking like a smoked Charles Bronson
0: so um this fantastic movie about uh, a billionaire from 1977 that the
1: richest man the, in the
0: world the richest man in the world um it begins uh with maston thrust and there's um, gonna be a
1: lot of comparisons to james bond I suspect. <laughs> yeah it is
0: very similar to a james bond movie in many respects um the movie opens with maston thrust our main character uh he's got a girlfriend with him who uh, he's showing a film of all the animals he's killed. Uh, The movie opens with, like, (laughs) very scared animals being projected onto a wall, like, like, like an elephant suffering. And he's basically showing her, like, animals that he's killed. Meanwhile, um, uh, she is saying things like, um, she's saying things like, uh, you know, did you, um, did you kill that one? Did you kill this one? He's like, yep, got that one, got this one. Um, That was, like, a disturbing way to just start the movie. It's a crocodile, and, yes, I shot it. All right, Charlie, that's enough.
2: Mm. (laughs) See that ram? They said that was an endangered species. You know they're gonna put cows on the list next? Yep. You know what they're doing in Scotland? They have got a thing over there called the Loch Ness Monster. They haven't found it yet, but it's already on the Endangered Species.
0: Mm-hmm. You've done everything. <laughs> did you notice that when the movie started, it just starts, right? There's Boy, no... did I. There's... <laughs> You can't see auditory medium, but Dan just whipped his sunglasses off. It was a huge power move, again, for somebody that just vomited in front of me. Um, (laughs) He's really asserting his dominance today. But it's the last dinosaur. We're trying to be the alpha I'm going balls to the wall for this movie. (laughs) Um, So, uh, Mastin... um, it, it, we, we then are see, like looking at a Newsworld magazine. Are we, are we past the theme song at this point? Oh, no, we're not there yet. Right, cool. oh, there's so much even before the theme song, which is one minute into All the right. movie. Um, <laughs> uh, Mastin is um, Mastin is now on the cover of a magazine called Newsworld, and it says, Mastin Thrust, is he the richest man in the world? Question <laughs> mark. Right. And that leads me to one thing that I did not understand in this movie. is there Why, is a why multi- five
1: minutes later someone had to be like, that's Mastin Thrust? Richest
0: man in the world, don't you know? (laughs) But there are also parts where uh, Joan says at one point, is he the richest man in the world? Right. Why is there a question? She goes, is he really the richest man in the world? Yeah, why is there a question as to whether or not he is the richest man in the world? He most definitely is. (laughs) I mean, he owns, like, a a company that is boring into the center of the earth. Like, he's definitely fine. Like, I don't know why people are even asking the question. Why is it a question mark? I just, I don't understand. Like, Well,
1: you know, it's like when there's men of that degree of wealth there's always like a little competitive edge where you know depending on like how the gdp that de- did that year maybe last year he was like the third richest <laughs> man in the world i guess so like it just like, seems like such a mystery some like to people Khaitarian prince was like etched it out the previous year <laughs> and it's like all right well now it's thrusting's fucking thrusting <laughs>
0: cut a toy airplane uh, flying over the clouds um, that says thrust on it. (laughs) Um, uh, Very, very jarring because uh, in the first scene, yes, he's showing this new girlfriend of his, a clip show of him murdering animals, but there's no hint that it's on an airplane. And then they cut to an exterior of an airplane. You think it's going to be a different scene, but then they cut back in and it's it's the same place. They're just in an airplane. It was ridiculous. Um, uh, It felt like a different scene basically um uh, so basically the way the scene ends is, is Mastin kind of walks away from the girlfriend the girlfriend steals a book um from out from like under his bed or something um it's it's bound in zebra skin um uh he opens up the book and uh, she opens up the book and this is like Mastin's. uh Memories basically, right, this is his scrapbook, right, right? Okay, so at this point, and, and becomes, the theme song kicks in,
1: and, it, and it's it's treated like, a, like an early 70s,
0: like sitcom theme song where it's like yeah.
1: turns a page, then the screen freezes as a name overlays
0: on it. Um, uh, while this is going on, uh, the theme song begins, yeah, and they like
1: Do it my way, it's my way, <laughs> the make our dreams come true for is, me and you.
0: Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, right. yeah, I know. Maybe we'll reference that in in ne- the next episode. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, that's a uh,
1: Penny Marshall for those keeping score. <sighs> oh
0: God. <coughs> um, and uh, <gasps> then we have the theme song, uh, which I'm going to start playing now. Okay. Um, that theme song is basically like a James Bond right. theme. It's about the fact, and I want everybody to kind of get this together right off the bat that the title, The Last Dinosaur, <sighs> is a. uh Oh, oh my God, we're getting a call.
2: Men have ever done what he has done, or even dreamed what he has
0: dreamed. His time has passed, there are no more, he is
2: the last
1: dinosaur. Holy shit.
0: We just talked to Joan Van Ark yeah that we just did that as as she put it the Joan van Ark it's incredible. how do you um, feel do you, do you feel changed now, having spoken to a superstar or just that's just me? I feel very changed
1: I feel like yeah, you know changed is a good word i I feel like now you're finally going to watch mash <laughs> Which is really what's been my goal of this entire podcast, is to get you to see the brilliance that is the television series M.A.S.H.
0: So, anyway, um, back to um, The Last Dinosaur. Um, so, uh, so that, that
1: for those at home keeping score, that was a yes.
0: It was a solid maybe. Dan's going to watch M.A.S.H. Um, it's a solid. <laughs> uh, anyway, so we haven't even gotten past the title sequence Wait, so the p-
1: Hold on, the people listening right now... They didn't just hear the Joan interview. No, they will hear the so Joan interview know, at the end of the episode. That was
0: episode. why there was just a pause. Uh, the pause was, as you heard, yeah, Joan it was, was calling. Yeah, we... She called us on our Skype. We had a interview with her. It was amazing, life changing, formative experience. And we'll talk about it uh, when we get to it. But as for now, these people are trying to hear more about the last dinosaur, and yeah. that is what I'm going to give them. Yeah, yeah. Um, right off the bat, <laughs> we're, we're starting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad, like, if you don't have the sound effect thing anymore, you should do them all just, um... A- uh. Auditorially. Um, so, uh, uh... Remember, the girlfriend steals Maston's book, and she starts flipping through it over this James Bond theme song. The James Bond theme song is alluding to the double entendre of the title. That not only... Totally inappropriate. Of, of thousands of jokes I've made today, and, and that in the middle of a sentence... Um, <laughs> just get it out man just get it all out um, mm. we we gotta talk about the last dinosaur you're having an ADD moment like we have to talk about it so it was, this is like even if you just stay quiet and don't interrupt me look talk about it <laughs> I was just accentuating your humor yes that did help I mean that was that was a glorious moment yeah. um, the girlfriend steals his book and is flipping through it did you notice Dan or <laughs> perfect timing or read for that matter any of the captions to any of the photos that he was looking at That she was looking
1: at in the beginning. Yeah. Um, No. Yes, I know I did when I watched. I don't remember. I Um, remember they were all hilarious, and (laughs) I know that one of the photos involved a Nazi flag because I the first the the first note that I have
0: in my
1: notes literally just says Nazi flag question (laughs) mark. Um. Uh.
0: There was a photo. Um. Of a very looming palace. Um. And underneath it, it said home sweet home. That was his caption. Um <laughs> the second photo is of a bunch of men on horses with hunting dogs. The caption says, "My first hunt, mom was pregnant." Okay. As in like my mom was yeah, pregnant? Yeah, he's
1: saying he's the pre- he's the he's in the womb. His first hunt was while his mom was hunting with No, this is all
0: men on a horde on horses. Yeah. I think he's saying like mom was just pregnant at the time or originally though I I pictured it as I hunted down an animal who was a mother who was also pregnant with babies when I slaughtered it. That was the way I interpreted it. Oh, maybe. Um, maybe. Uh, a Next picture is of two boys standing over two dead animals with the caption, Cousin Ernie and me, mine was bigger.
1: Yeah, I remember that as well.
0: <laughs> We're
1: only in the first scene there, folks. Yeah, this is, uh, this this is, the is not,
0: song. we are nowhere yet. Um, the next photo is a newspaper article. Now, I want you to really listen to this one because okay. this is fucking unbelievable. Okay. Uh, again, this is his girlfriend of maybe one night. Yeah. that is looking through this book. Right, right. Not a girlfriend at all, just yeah. one night late. She's looking at, like, his scrapbook. Uh, the next photo is a newspaper article. The article has a picture of a woman. The byline is, Hunter husband threatens Cinderella bride number two with elephant gun. Yeah. <laughs> Cut to the girlfriend who laughs out loud while reading it.
1: Yeah. Mastin's yeah, right. personal right. caption
0: under the photo is, My worst bag. Yeah.
1: Dude, I'm like reliving this movie in my head as you're, it's like you're painting a picture with words and I'm um, just like, yeah, this, I, I don't even know what to say. I'm like, yeah, that's what, that's what happened on then the Then
0: there uh, is a really cool page that seems to show an article written by Hunter S. Thompson about Thrust right. called Fear and Loathing in yeah, Africa on yeah. Safari with the Last of the Great yeah. Hunters. I was like, this movie's about to be cool. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I was like, what the hell yeah. is going on? Yeah. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Um. Anyway, overall, this dude, the last dinosaur theme, which again, alludes to the fact that The title is a double entendre. The Last Dinosaur is in fact not the T-Rex that this billionaire will be hunting hunting at the center of the earth, but it is him. It is is the billionaire himself, which is ironic because actor Richard Boone in this role is literally deteriorating in front of our eyes. (laughs) Um, We just talked to one of the stars of the movie who confirmed that the man was uh, in his cups, you could say, in a a royal sense, um, uh, from 12 noon on, and I think it was from 9 a.m. on because (laughs) every shot in this movie, he is absurd. His his attitude, his delivery, it's that of a cantankerous man on his porch screaming at kids who right, are passing right. by. Constantly. To uh, everyone. Nothing but contempt. He's he's mad at literally everyone yeah. he speaks to. He's the to wealthiest
1: man on earth who's like basically going to the general public to be like, here's this ludicrous thing far outside the world of what you thought was possible that I'm about to spend billions of dollars on. I'm going to be a total dick to any one of you who doubts me or even questions me as to the validity of this absurd plan also the center of the earth is a rainforest.
0: (laughs) We're going to get to that. It's it's very, uh, very confusing to me, but we're going to get to that. Um, uh, Right off the bat, we start with another shot of a miniature airplane taxiing on the runway. Um, It's a miniature as in uh, film speak for it's like a guy created it. It's like three inches long and it's being shot on a studio. Um, But it's immediately followed by a real shot of the same runway. Um, This is blatantly and brutally confusing. I understand they wanted the thrust airplane again, but to have it back to back immediately into a shot of the same airport yard, but with real people and real footage was absolutely baffling to see. It was like, it was like a surrealist piece. I was like, oh, a toy. Oh, now we're in reality, like of the toy. It was so weird. It's
1: incredible the similarities to James Bond, Man with the Golden Gun in this movie. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the brazen machismo. Way, just the, the way it's presented. The
0: sexism, the the mild racism. Yeah. It's all there, baby. It's... This is a classic movie blues movie. Yeah. Like, this this is, is why this podcast should... This been. is...
1: Dan has... This is a staple of Dan's childhood. I never knew this movie was a thing.
0: And this is probably why I'm so dumb, honestly. This is, like, all I watch. Kids were, like, learning algebra when I was watching this movie. <laughs>
1: like. The The crazy thing about it is that it looks like a real movie. It looks like a... Like, from how you described and your giddiness at the thought of doing an episode on it, I was like, Oh, this is gonna be like Golden Gun where it just like looks like just goofy fucking hokey cinematography. This actually looks like aside like the effects are pretty weak, but the movie itself I think it looks pretty nice. I, I think there's some shots that were like actually some good good shots.
0: I agree with all that. Okay. But I mean there's also some bad ones obviously, and there's some, some semi questionable effects, but Um, in terms of the dinosaurs that are featured in this movie, like, for the time and for what they were doing, it was pretty good. And they're pretty memorable. They're pretty scary-looking instead of normal-looking. They're not, like, normal-looking dinosaurs. They're, like, extra insidious-looking. And there's some blood in it. There's some gore in it. There's some stabs in it between the dinosaurs.
1: There's some some punctures. It's
0: pretty badass. It's 1977 on a shoestring budget for a TV movie. Like, it's pretty good for effects. Um, Um, um... Um, <laughs> I don't know. I had, made, I had made a list of other movies that came out in 1977. No, you know, okay. It, that's not fair because we know the scale that we're working on. We know that it's bad to begin with. But... We don't need to compare it to Star Wars and everything under the sun. Like, obviously, this movie never made it to theaters. I'm not trying to say a, that it was it a... But it was be
1: and it was starring stars. It
0: was made by Toho. Like, it's got the... Dino- it, it's got that Godzilla look. The miniature work is impressive at times. They do go a really far distance to do detail. Whatever. Look, I just want to talk about Richard Boone. Okay. And Joan Van Ark. Right. Um So, uh, and Thrust uh, lands his airplane. Still the first scene in the movie. I'm yeah. sorry. Um, lands his airplane uh, with his girlfriend. Um, his interaction with his girlfriend is absolutely harrowing. I'm going to insert the entire clip. Great. Um, but uh, we don't need to go over it if you don't want to. But um, there's a golden bullet scenario. Yeah, um, right. That, yeah, I'm just going to have to play the clip. Sorry, sugar, end of the line. I've got some other business to take care of. Take your pardon?
2: Uh, Here's a ticket back to wherever that was that I found you.
3: Portland. Portland? Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, A token of my appreciation. Oh. What's this? That's a solid gold bullet. What am I supposed to do with this? I can't, I can't wear this. Well, if times get really tough, you can bite on it. Excuse
1: me. Considering the whole, this whole podcast is predicated on the golden gun, golden bullet. Yeah, that was an, this was an extra trick. Like, we're talking about the similarities. Like, in that first podcast ever, you made a joke about how, like, why they even bother to give him a name? James Bond's name might as well have been Rod Fuckstick. Right. So, it's like, one of them could have been Thrust, uh... What's uh What's Richard Boone's name in this movie? Mastin. Yeah. Thrust. Yeah, Mastin Thrust. Like that's a that's a James Bond alter ego right there. It's Mastin Thrust.
0: Is Mastin like a What does Mastin mean as a word? Is that like a thing? It's like when your dick is at full Mastin. <laughs> sorry, Joan. <laughs> sorry, Joan. <laughs> Seriously, sorry, Joan. That was inappropriate. But she, Joan, can hang. Now that I've talked to Joan, I think she might be into some of the more edgy, edgier parts of this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to find something to show you. Hold on. Um, so basically um, from here uh, Mastin, um goes to Thrust Enterprises. That's his next stop. Um, and uh there are some moments uh, of perversion on Richard Boone's part that yeah. I find a little questionable. Yeah. Let me show you one that I have here. Now, this is him and his girlfriend kissing in the first scene. I forgot to show you this. Okay. I want you to pay attention to where the actor's hand uh, ends up in this okay. kiss in a PG Children's Should movie. Should we release this as a,
1: as a wait, video wait. podcast so people wait, wait. can watch along?
0: Look at him. Sorry, folks, we had a momentary equipment failure. But to fill you back in, Dan and I watched a video where Richard Boone walks down the hallway of his office at Thrust Enterprises, turns fully from hundreds of reporters that are following him, asking him questions about this big discovery he's supposed to unveil, and looks at a statue of a naked woman. Does, like, literally a 360 (laughs) to look at it. He makes a really strong character choice. (laughs) He's making a strong... Dan says it's a character choice. He's saying that the actor knew that uh his character was supposed to be this brazen machismo idiot and would of course look at a statue in his office he's walked by a that's, thousand that's times richard fucking boone right? to get off <laughs> <laughs> um uh so then uh we see um francesca banks who is played by joan van Ark. um he's immediately super cruel to her i have a clip of that insert as well yeah mr thrust maston maston this is
3: uh... hi i'm francesca banks
2: Yeah, well, Sugar, I'm not going to have time for you this trip, so you just uh, give Barney your phone number, and I'll try and catch
0: you the next time around. What the hell is the matter with you? Um, We then meet Charles. Um, I have some questions right off the bat about Charles. Charles. Um, He's a scientist who explains to Mastin... That he saw a dinosaur from five hundred meters. Where and how we yeah, don't know right, yet. Right. But he says to Maston, "Look, man, I He's like, saw I it. I saw it at five hundred meters. I saw it at five hundred meters, and that's pretty Ma- fucking far." And Maston just like storms by him, continues on his day. Um, uh, next, he meets up with um, Tensei, who is this uh, Asian like. Um, uh, what's that actor we always Ken Watanabe yeah. is who would play this uh, you know, Ken Watanabe would play this role uh normally in a movie um, yeah, what was his name in Golden Gun um who are you talking about the the little person Oh, Ken, Man- Ken Watanabe yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about uh the in the um, no, I'm not talking about Diplane, Diplane. <laughs> so anyway, um uh he meets up with Tensei. Sorry, Ken Watson. Tensei off, way off. <laughs> Tensei is like his like mentor slash like um sensei. Right. Um he like bows to him and he says, Tensei, you have my word. Uh I will not kill the dinosaur for sport. Um this is the first time that Maston swears in the movie that yeah. he's not going to kill this dinosaur. The first of the many. The first of many times where he is put in a situation where he just says, of course I'm
1: not going to kill it. You ever watch a movie where the, like, there is a quick dialogue scene they're going back and forth and they say one thing that doesn't fit right in with the rest of the dialogue and you're like, oh, foreshadowing. They're like talking, have a very realistic and they're like, and by the way, I would never go near that tree in the backyard. And you're like, I wasn't thinking you were. Clearly that tree in the backyard is going to fall on you. So this is first of about 13 times in the first half hour that he emphasizes that he will never kill that dinosaur
0: (laughs) for sport. Um, Don't worry, we're going to go through all the times uh, that he swears not to kill the animal for sport. It's many. Um, uh, So, uh, drilling um, successfully for oil under the polar cap, uh, the thrust company using the thrust polar borer, which is a uh, (laughs) dick-shaped drill, manned, drill yeah. that drills now this is going to be a long discussion this is the most phallic movie i've ever seen <laughs> in my life this is going to be a long discussion of like um who exactly or where exactly is this place that they drill to like i guess they show a map where they're drilling under the polar ice cap right, right. so that's got to be at the top or bottom of the planet they're drilling through uh the polar ice cap but then like oh somehow they just go through a thermal vent or something and then yeah. find a pool of water which then leads to a dinosaur world right um i'm not really sure how that works though because are they in this some of the ads said center of the earth some of the material says um, adventure in the center of, like it's yeah. it's uh, the, the, most definitely the not byline the center of the, of the
1: movie says center of the earth you
0: cannot have it be the center of the earth solely for the reason that there's a <laughs> sky yeah. there's a blue right. sky right. Right Up above, um, uh, I just don't know how you work around that in terms of that being under something. All sorts of weather. Yeah.
1: Various (laughs) things. There's waves
0: in the water, which needs to come from a moon. (laughs) You thought really hard about that. Um, So anyway, uh, the Polar Borer 5 on a routine mission disappears off the monitor. That expedition ended up with one survivor. Turns out to be Chuck Wade. Yeah the dwelfist we met before um but i'm very confused about something because when we are introduced to chuck wade as a character he's doing an electricity science experiment <laughs> um he's wearing gloves and a coat and he's saying you know a he's a scientist no but like the reason that he's in the building that day at that moment is because they're about to have this uh, uh this announcement of what happened to him on his mission and their discovery. They have the entire world's press there. Uh, he shook, and in the next scene he's obviously, like, has PTSD from right, it. Right. Then why is he doing an experiment when I... we're introduced to him right. with electricity?
1: It's like, it's that fucking typical Toro, just like, how can we show that he's a scientist? Make him hold po- elec- yeah. something electric. he's holding
0: a beaker. <laughs> uh, so that was R- completely nonsense. Um, <laughs> The previous expedition that Chuck was on discovered a lost world of dinosaurs through the ice cap, um, and for the second time in the press conference, when that inter- is introduced, Maston says, no, I will not kill that animal. It will not be hunted. It will not be harmed. So that's number two. Yeah.
1: The, keep in mind that the whole reason for this press conference is that the press knows that six people went off on this expedition and only one returned, so they know that five of them died. That's why they're there. They're gathered for that explanation. And then when... Uh, thrust what what, maston
2: yeah
1: when maston explains what goes on what was going on and he goes he goes and five of them or after that they were gone and the whole the whole crowd of reporters goes gone gone what do you mean gone when they're there for the reason of finding out the explanation as to why these five uh earth astronauts
0: died um, we are now introduced uh, by Maston uh, to a Maasai tracker, his friend Bunta. Um, Bunta. this is a seven foot three uh, black guy that walks out and, there's no greater, more racist scene in this movie than when Bunta walks out in front of a crowd of white men, and they're all like, "Oh God, what!" Like, yeah. they're all yeah. like, "My lord!" Yeah. Like, looking at him, right. like all the women start
1: fainting. He, he literally like... <laughs> just looks like a basketball
0: player. It's just he literally is a basketball yeah, player. Yeah, as, as
1: confirmed by Joan.
0: Joan confirmed that Bunta was a basketball player. It's and, the most racist
1: uh, character ever. His name is Bunta. Roots had just come out. Did you look up? I told
0: you to look up what Bunta meant. Uh, did we do that? I don't remember. It was like Head of a Thousand Cattle. Oh, it was yeah, like I did, I did, <laughs> some racist, yeah. completely awful thing they made up. Yeah. Um, so um, then uh, we cut to after you know Maston has made his announcement, they're going to take the thrust polar boar uh, down to the center of the earth or whatever the fuck it is to not hunt a dinosaur, it's like, I guess. It's
1: like M. Night Shyamalan's version of what the center of the earth would look like where there's no rhyme <laughs> or fucking reason to
0: it. Um also like I know he's very obsessed with hunting specifically a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Right. But it's like they discovered a whole prehistoric world and there's no emphasis on that. The emphasis is solely on hunting the T Rex. Because the T Rex is the one that killed the five Regardless, yeah, like, the, the discovery is not the T Rex specifically, mm-hmm. it's the entire thing. And right. they're they totally unfazed
1: it... by the fact that there's more dinosaurs there's, than just yes, the one.
0: There's tons more dinosaurs, yeah. um, and yet
1: it just the T Rex. They're completely the unfazed point. by the fact that they went through the crust and the mantle and the core of the earth to come out in basically like southern Miami. <laughs>
0: um. Yeah, my next note just says Richard Boone is disgusting, so I'm not sure <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what that was in reference to
1: um, Probably um, just the general way he speaks to Joan or speaks about her The whole, his first interaction Joan's like uh, like an accomplished journalist who's supposed to go along for this expedition and she goes to introduce herself to him and he's just like Basically, just like fuck off, woman! Like he's like one moment away from backhanding her in the face just for like having the audacity to walk in front of him.
0: And and he does treat her like shit, which is weird because then immediately she's still interested in him. They have a wrap party of some kind for for the, press the scientific announcement. Yeah, for the press conference, <laughs> where and this is just where the questions began for me. Joan is serving champagne in a kimono <laughs> right. at this party. She goes from being at the press conference, hearing this. Announcement for the first time, and then she's in a kimono yeah. serving champagne at the party. Yeah. Um, that was her
1: trying to like win over. She's trying for to. Us.
0: She's trying to win over Richard Boone, who looks like he could be her <laughs> grand grandfather, double grand. Well, because she wants.
1: She's a legitimate scientist journalist. She wants to go along for the ride. She's gonna do whatever it takes to get this fucking piece of shit to uh to go along with the it's the whole issue of like he doesn't respect her coming along because she's a woman and surely a woman couldn't help. It's that it's um, that that
0: nineteen seventy seven. It's interesting fucking... because like they do they do um have her be a progressive woman and they do some yeah. interesting turnarounds. Yeah. Um like uh, she knows exactly what's going on. But after she's serving champagne at the party, she sneaks off into the bushes in broad daylight, right. uh, in the eye line of like the head of the company yeah. and master. And, and, dis- and disrobes. And disrobes. Throws her kimono into the air as if nude. Um, yeah. um, and, and does her best Jessica Rabbit impression. <laughs> um, Joan uh, mentions, I keep saying Joan, I mean Francesca, but also Joan. Uh, Joan mentions her dad no less than three times in the first ten lines of this movie. It's like very obvious she's got some sort of complex going on. We
1: almost made it through one.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right? We almost made it through one episode where there isn't some very bizarre father-child relationship. Um, Joan Van Ark then does a W.C. Fields impression in trying to uh, impress... Richard Boone's character. Yeah, trying Um, to
1: impress, trying to seduce with her mouth.
3: Can I give you a lift? Why don't you come up and see my pictures, big boy? (laughs) Now (laughs) now that is
2: W.C. Fields, right?
0: Right! (laughs) Right. (laughs) Come on. Um, Richard Boone then whispers to her, quote, I keep wondering what your mouth will taste like. (laughs) Yeah. PG (laughs) kids movie, folks. (laughs) Mast and Thrust is not a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Mast
1: and thr- Dude, like you know somewhere in existence there's a screenplay to this movie where it says
0: Mast and Thrust been wondering what that mouth tastes like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Joan then pulls a trick on Mastin where she entices him to come up to her hotel room. She strips down, forces him then to watch a slideshow of her Pulitzer Prize winning work. So like that was interesting because that's the turnaround. You think she's, oh, she's going to sleep with him just because. And then she ends up showing him a slideshow of war orphans and horrible people dying and massacres and genocide. What a twist. Or is it? Or is it because then she kisses him and they do do it? So what was the point of the turnaround?
1: It's to give her agency over the situation. But it really came across as like even the smart gals still at heart
0: can't resist the the thrust. That is definitely the message. Um, uh, Thrust promises everyone uh, on the trip before they leave. They're now like getting ready to go on this mission that he won't lose anybody. Um, I can't imagine that'll be true. Everyone is in a space suit except thrust who's dressed like a hunter yeah like everyone's ready to go on the mission and thrust is wearing a space helmet with his hunter's (laughs) outfit below it (laughs) again and the entire time his name is maston so joan keeps calling him maston but it's like slurred a little bit so it sounds like master (laughs) it does it does often sound like master yeah uh which is disturbing yeah um And I just, I really thought that I was going to find out that Richard Boone, like, had a lot to do with writing his character in this movie. We didn't get to ask her much of that, unfortunately, but, um, at the end of the day, I think he was making some strong choices in this movie. (laughs) It's Richard fucking Boone. Um, Boone Enterprises. So, um they get to this island they get to this wonderful mystical dinosaur island uh, with one dinosaur flying through the sky throughout the entire movie they just keep cutting to the same pterodactyl like <laughs> and it's flying so it's slowly like, it's, it's like, literally defying logic it's like the set for like the show Dinosaurs yes it was like the set for the show Dinosaurs <laughs> which is a sitcom <laughs> it's a great show yeah, yeah. incredible we 10 out of 10 we should
1: do a whole podcast on 10 out of 10 12 out of 10 one 10. of the
0: greatest f- final episodes of a television show ever um, at this point, uh, you already kind of see the rails falling off of the operation uh, in terms of, um, you know... Yeah, by virtue of the fact that <laughs> the rest of the characters are sane. Yeah, yeah. Mastin thrust right off the bat, um, starts uh, changing his position. Here's an example of his position changing subtly. Here's a quote from Mastin <laughs> when he's on the Dinosaur Island. This is like a quote from Donald Trump. Yeah. Quote, I didn't say we weren't bringing weapons. I said the animal won't be hunted. But if we get in a jam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so there you see him kind of like, he's yeah. already tipping the rules a little right. bit. He's only been on the ground for about five minutes. That's when
1: the f- you get, everyone else has the first whiff of like, oh, maybe all the times that he kept saying we weren't going to hunt the dinosaur, even though no one asked him, maybe it was because he was preoccupied by hunting the dinosaur. <laughs> um, it's, he's literally like that meme where it's like, no one
0: thrust <laughs> I will yes. not hunt that yeah, exactly um, uh, oh my god so um, the first time they encountered the T-Rex Mastin immediately sets up his gun to shoot him yeah. immediately yeah, instantly. Um, he doesn't do it though um, for a fourth time in the movie Mastin assures everyone quote, I gave the doctor my word and I intend to keep it once yeah. again promising not to kill the dinosaur yeah. um, <laughs> spoiler alert He's going to hunt the dinosaur. Oh! <laughs> wow, really ruined that one. Um, so uh, then there's a scene where the dinosaur, which, by the way, is 40 feet tall and is so enormous. Th- this time, yeah, the dinosaur time. is 40 yeah. feet tall. The dinosaur tall. changes sizes every the scale 25 of it minutes. it has
1: zero consistency. The, the scale it's makes insane. absolutely
0: no sense. At one point, Dan, the funniest scale uh, issue that they made was when... The dinosaur, which by the way is twelve times the size of a T. Rex, right. reaches into a pond and bites up a, a fish, fish, and it's yeah. the size of the its whole is mouth. Huge. It's, it's a dinosaur <laughs> a fish. Which, like, can you imagine how they actually did that? They had a guy in a rubber suit and a right. dinosaur costume his, just crush like his, a real. He had
1: two hands in each. Like a. In each it way. was
0: like a Japanese restaurant was, koi. Yeah, it was like it was like <laughs> a statue of a marlin. Um. Okay, um, the dinosaur sneaks up on Dr. Kawamoto and kills him, and literally sneaks up to within right. an inch on this man in broad daylight, right. and he does so not that. So that br- that brings me to like, I have very, very, very
1: few notes about this movie because mm-hmm. like I actually did kind of like the movie, and like yeah, in its own wacky same. way, like really just like it's kind of charming and just like in the same way a lot of those old movies are. Like this is like, it was so fucking over the top wacky, but I still like it was like enjoying myself the whole time. Mm. My biggest note is how the fuck dinosaurs keep sneaking up on people yeah, to kill them? Like, so literally, big. this character is just sitting there, like, looking, reading a report, and then looks up, and a T-Rex is over him. Yet, every time there's This happens three different times, and then each time it then cuts to, like, the dinosaur's point of view, and you see that every step they take causes a mini earthquake. Like, once you see the dinosaur, every step step leads to everything shaking, there's dirt falling off the mountains, but prior to that, they're just sneakily walking up to people. There's um, two different kills where they just look up and suddenly there's a dinosaur there
0: in the middle of like a plane. Um, so he kills Dr. Kalmodo and Mastin. Uh, I think this is when he finally flips. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. says, quote, this 40 foot monster with the brain and the size of a dried pea has it's, just killed one of the great no, minds of our century. No
1: different than that moment in uh, Crawl with uh, with fake Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> being like, who was the star of that movie? Barry Pepper. Oh, Barry, Barry
0: Pepper, being like you, pea brain lizard. Fuck. Exactly. That's <laughs> like... another example of that. So stupid. <laughs> um, so uh, the next sequence uh is actually the longest sustained creature feed feature sequence um it's basically it's basically dinosaur fan fiction erotica yes it's basically yeah definitely so basically a hot tyrannosaurus comes upon the polar boar and kicks it just (laughs) strokes it and throws it across a boneyard um and uh he's fighting this polar boar he's throwing it across the boneyard he's He's destroying destroying this empty ship and then one of the yeah first (laughs) of all why is a dinosaur oh no they say later quote uh he attacked it because it's shiny (laughs) someone said that they Um, saved it uh the most i would say the number one most puzzling moment in this movie happened during the scene and you may have missed it i'm not really sure but uh because it's such a long extended creature scene it may have gone beyond you but as he's kicking this polar boar around all of a sudden a dinosaur like he starts hitting the side of a mountain yeah. and a dinosaur erupts from within <laughs> yeah. like as if you find out as that if the he mountain was itself in... was actually like crusted dirt on top of a stegosaurus or like a triceratops. It wasn't even crusted dirt. It it was as if this dinosaur was encased in a mountain, <laughs> right? fully hibernated, yeah. encased in a mountain right. and just awoke. They like zoom in on its eye. Yeah. It's like Pew! it's like it's like you've awoken me like it this was exact, so exact random exact thing
1: happened in Detective Pikachu um uh, yeah yeah <laughs> um this every movie we've watched so far was they're leading all the same. Us, we I, just keep I, watching I feel like movie. right now we're finding that you have a subconscious thing where like you pick movies just that movies just like, that like reminded you of your childhood yeah they're all the stupid
0: <laughs> last dinosaur knockoffs uh, <laughs> that's where all the tropes for this show <laughs> that's came why from. you love James Bond um oh, I fucking hate James Bond um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that was puzzling, the fact that this dinosaur erupted from stone. And then they just have a very Godzilla-esque fight and it, Yeah, and it was Where a for, was it it triceratops. Previously, it's,
1: it's man versus T-Rex, and then there's just, like, the longest action scene in the movie
0: is two dinosaurs fighting. Yeah. And then
1: there's nothing to do with that. So it, had, I, it was
0: absolutely, like, inserted after the fact, <laughs> when they had, like, 20000 yeah, more it, dollars. It's like Power Rangers
1: when they cut to the monsters, and you're like, those clearly take took place in an entirely different climate than the rest of these scenes.
0: Um, so the polar boar uh, is now gone, and Mastin told HQ that if they didn't answer in five days, don't ever send help. <laughs> right. Which is a great idea. Right. He has infinite resources, yeah. probably infinite <laughs> polar boars, yeah. goes on a trip himself. <laughs> yeah. And says, without the consent of his crew, if I'm lost, do not find me. It's the most selfish thing in the entire world. It's bizarre. Could
1: easily, with his wealth, train an entire crew to scope it out first before he goes himself. I
0: don't want to put this lightly. I don't know if we've conveyed this fully in this episode yet, but Mastin Thrust is a fucking dick. Like, he's (laughs) a fucking asshole. He's a complete lunatic. He's a complete loose cannon like he's out of his (laughs) mind he's like
1: he's it's like the end of an era of like those classic like fucking white cowboy loose cannon characters well like like
0: as a billionaire like it makes no sense to be acting (laughs) how he's acting he
1: hasn't changed his clothes he's wearing the same chaps for the last 30 days yet he lives in a mansion (laughs) um so uh dude he's like he's like he's like john wayne likes worst drunken qualities all the time
0: um At this point, uh, I think one of the most amazing things in this movie happens, and uh, since the polar boar is gone, um, four months pass, Right. Um, and the crew has now been living on this island for four full months. Yeah. Um, Joan is in, like, a jungle outfit cooking dinner out of berries. Yeah, they have, like, Um, a pet human. They have a pet human. There's humans on the island. They're, like, aboriginals, essentially.
1: It's super offensive. Yeah,
0: it's, like, as out of control as anything else you've heard in this so far. Yeah. Um, so, um... They're like one step away from being like, booga booga. Um, post-time jump, uh, we're talking four months now, yeah. everyone looks really t- tattered and awful. Yeah. Uh, Maston does not. Yeah. His outfit is completely intact. And he's a rugged individualist. His silk handkerchief yeah. around his neck is still yeah. intact in yeah. perfect condition. He looks ready he to looks play guitar for Brothers Past. Um, <laughs> um yeah, uh, you start to see that they've been living on this island and that chuck uh the main guy besides maston who's also a tall dwelfus um he uh <laughs> is trying to get into uh francesca's pants all the time that's his mo um so he finally kisses uh francesca um joan and um, after seeing the kiss maston comes up to joan and says quote all those years i wouldn't let any women on safari i should have stuck to the rules yeah <laughs> Again, he's a dick. Yeah, he's, like, the worst. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's the worst. Yeah. So lame. <laughs> um so um then what it comes down to is that the locals are fighting against the scientific crew. Uh the scientific crew every time they go hunting the locals End up fucking it over, um, and and making it impossible for them to hunt. So Maston creates a crossbow solely for the purpose to murder one yeah, of the right. Aboriginals in front of all yeah, the others, yeah. so that they to, know to, they're like, more powerful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, he makes a crossbow. Joan, uh, Joan comes up to him right before he kills this Aboriginal in cold blood, and kisses him on the cheek right. and says, "This is for good luck." As Mastin goes out to slaughter uh, a native with a crossbow. Uh, in the scene beforehand, she's horrified at the prospect of hurting the natives. Now she's literally flirting with Mastin, sending him off to go murder someone. Right. Scene after scene, right. back to back. That was what happened with her. Um. Uh, and we see another scene of them living on the island uh, where they um, are throwing chickens at each other. Yeah. They're all oh, dead. Oh, you forgot to ask Joan about the chickens. I know, I forgot. But they're all throwing I'll dead chickens at each other. I'll call her back. We got a phone number. Okay, hold on. Okay, Joan said this was a fun scene. <laughs> um, they're all throwing dead chickens at each other, and Bunta, the seven-foot-tall black dude, gets nailed in the face with a dead chicken, and they freeze frame on it. Yeah,
1: yeah. like classic, like like it's on it. the, like like the ten-thousand-dollar man. Like the $100 Million Dollar Man, whatever that show. Uh, the Some denomination scene, of dollars and man.
0: The next scene was deeply troubling and offensive. The native woman jumped into bed right. uh, with Mastin Thrust, who right. thrusted her out of bed yeah. and said, quote, that stinking damn thing got in my bed. She yeah. smells like a loose stool. Yeah. About the native girl. He's,
1: he's essentially the uh, the the like R.J. Pepperwood character from fucking uh golden gun that guy who's just, pepper. <laughs> whatever that dude's name was close enough
0: <laughs> you know rj R. pepper was that yeah.
1: it? not i don't know fucking generic white man who is like dj the, pepper the horse or the pig came over to steal his wallet
0: <laughs> um nextly the gang builds a catapult which seems like a pretty stationary weapon to hunt a dinosaur with right, right. um it's massive they yeah. build this thing um chuck and joan uh leave to recover the polar boar uh maston wants to hunt the dinosaur so badly that he actually aims his crossbow at the two of them as they retreat to get the polar boar which is like maston goes from just wanting to hunt the dinosaur to literally killing people who aren't with him he's
1: completely off the rail he's like
0: i I will kill you if you leave this (laughs) dinosaur hunting operation um (laughs) even though at this point yeah they found the polar boar Uh, they're ready to go. It's
1: supposed to be showing, like, his mental degradation and descent into madness, but he started as so
0: fucking insane that, like, there's no arc to it. You're like, oh, this guy's just a psycho the whole time. Um... Chuck, by the way, pushes the polar boar from the bone graveyard all the way yeah. to the shore. Yeah. They don't show that. Uh, they just show him getting to the shore with it. Right. We're talking about a drill yeah. that mans 12 people yeah, that, that can, can go into the, the, center of the, of the center of the earth. He pushes it by hand yeah. while the sun is still out. <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, like it felt like there were 45 minutes of the movie we were missing. You right. could have made a whole movie about just a guy pushing yeah. the polar boar yeah. from a volcano to the shore. Yeah. Um, that was absolutely ridiculous. It was like the Odyssey. Um, oh, my God. So at this point, Joan wants to leave uh, with Chuck. They want to get off the island. They go to Mastin. Um, Maston's response to them leaving the island uh, to Joan is that he tries convincing her that uh, she has nothing to return to on planet Earth right. and that he could, quote, uh, be lovers and we could hunt. And what the hell else is there? Yeah. Yeah after literally pointing a crossbow at her right. in the well, last scene early threatening early. to kill her. Yeah.
1: What else could there be besides hunting dinosaurs and living as the only two people on an island with this lunatic?
0: Uh their final makeout is unsettling. Was that
1: the Adam and Eve scene?
0: Uh yeah, um I believe that is the Adam and Eve scene which I will insert into here. Right. Um it's maybe one of the weirdest weirdest like, romantic single lines fucking I've ever heard in my
2: life. <laughs>
3: We have the polar bore launched. I want you to come back with us.
2: I got a better idea. You stay here with me. <laughs> I like that idea. Adam and Eve. (laughs) Now you tell me the truth. What's back there for you? Confusion, frustration. Here's where life is. Pure, simple. No, oh, oh, we could make love, and we could hunt, and what the hell else is there?
3: All right, it's a, it's a marvelous dream, but you're not here. You don't belong here. You come back.
0: Me now. But like the way he d- delivers it, he mumbles it and laughs, laughs to himself. <laughs> like almost laughing at the idea himself dude, out loud at dude, it. Dude,
1: like when when Joan said that like he was drinking on set, I was just like, Oh, he course, was hammered that was scene.
0: Like, he was hammered. Because look, that scene was at night, right? And she said anytime after 12. That was one of the only night scenes. He yeah. was bonkers in yeah. that scene. He's like, I don't even know how to do the impression. He's yeah. like, you know, we could be Adam and Eve. <sighs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. It was a oh. He's playing
1: it like fucking like Dennis Hopper and like blue velvet.
0: (laughs) Um, this is one of those movies where they tried to insert the title incorrectly into it, and it didn't make any sense. Um, at the end of the movie, Joan yells to him, "Let the dinosaur go. It's the last one." And he says, "No, I am." Which okay, but it, it. it wasn't in any terms the last dinosaur, right? We saw it's a whole, we saw a dinosaur jump out of a rock. Yeah, it's a ton of they're literally di- jumping they're fly, out of fl- rocks. As he says, that. they're, they're so, flying there's one over. Flying it. in the background. Like, so what? That line makes no sense. Yeah. I understand fully what they're trying to do with it, right. and that is that's that's what this comes down to, dude. Is that this movie? That's the microcosm for this movie. Right. Like it's some they think they're doing one thing. They're trying to be earnest, and it, it is just an absolute disaster. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't Also, in the last scene when he's fighting the dinosaur, uh, he's throwing hand grenades at it. Where the right, fuck did right, those come yeah. They showed them building the catapult, right? And that was a huge effort. And then all of a sudden, he's throwing handmade bombs. Yeah. How we, the fuck did that happen? Did we, they did, only had bows and arrows for
1: I know y- did, for months. Did we miss the part where they set up like basically like a, a net to trip the dinosaur as it walks? <laughs> no, down I didn't down the write anything lung. about that and just like that was their first attempt it was like a it's it's this movie is essentially an episode of looney tunes with fucking the road runner where it's just like a bunch of people trying to set traps to trap the dinosaur it's
2: all over (laughs) well it ought to be fairly easy to follow from here follow it what are you talking about i'm talking about going after it are you crazy You said yourself our weapons are useless against that thing. Leave it alone. It will not leave us alone. It will continue to plague us until we are chewed and swallowed and dissolved, and I am not ready for that. I'm going to take it first. How are we going to do that? I don't know, but I'll do it. Maston we're exhausted we're... you don't hear very good. Now get it together now.
0: Get out of my way. Uh the conclusion, my friend, is that uh Joan and Chuck get the polar bore in the water, they're ready to leave. They ask Maston one more time, do you wanna go? And he says, no, I'm going to stay here on this dinosaur infested island. Even though I'm a billionaire, I could go back, have any woman, any amenity in the world. I'm aging. Yeah. Probably going to need health care soon yeah. because I'm getting older. John, but no, I'm going to stay. Joan's
1: made it clear she's in love with him.
0: Yeah she's, yeah, she's like, if you come back, I'll be with you, basically. And he's yeah. like, I'm not going to follow a beautiful girl back to my billionaire mansion with the biggest discovery of all time. I'm instead going to stay on this island and hunt yeah. that dinosaur. Yeah. And that is the way. Um, because there's no women here for me to hate.
1: Well, there is.
0: <laughs> there is. They imply in the final scene in the movie, a native oh, woman yeah. runs up uh, to him. It's the same woman
1: from earlier. The same woman from earlier. He with him, that, they he didn't, ca- that he called a disgusting thing.
0: They didn't suggest that it was going to eventually get sexual, but I want to say that that is uh, what they were leaving yeah. for us. They're at least friends. <laughs> They're at least friends of benefits. Ladies and gentlemen, that was our recap of The Last of Dinosaur. The Last Dinosaur. Our last recap of The Last Dinosaur. Um... We're going to leave you now uh, with our full interview uh, with Joan Van Ark, uh, star, star of The Last Dinosaur, star of Knots Landing, MASH, in the video game Fallout 4, in uh, Doom Patrol, which is now on WB. All sorts of shit she'll tell you about, but um, we're going to lead off with her and... Um, we'll come back for a moment after. I guess we'll come back Wrap for it now. up. Wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, we could we could either start by talking about The Last Dinosaur, or we could ask you some general questions. Um, we You know, we've obviously looked into uh, your storied career and have seen that you've been on a- all sorts of things, um,
2: mm-hmm. from vi-
0: video games to sitcoms to movies to TV. I mean, it plays, and I mean, it's a large body of work we were looking at. Um, I saw all sorts of things in there. I didn't even uh, realize, like, that you were a part of the Fallout 4 video game. Uh, which, oh, I, yes.
3: yeah. Yeah, which I oh
0: yes yeah I really love that game so I thought that that was kind of uh, surprising. Um, how did you get involved with that?
3: Well, I'm um, early in my career uh, and and now even so because I just did something for Doom Patrol, which is a brand new um, series uh, and it was voiceover work. Uh, a brand new series for DC Universe and it's oh really it's, uh, yeah oh, it's Timothy Dalton.
0: That just came out, he, right? That Justice League. Yes, movie.
3: yes. Oh, yes. you're in that. I'm in that. Uh, Timothy so cool. Dalton and who? Who's the other one? Oh, Bre- uh, Brendan Fraser. Oh, uh, wow. Two wonder- Yeah, two wonderful actors. Yeah. Um And I played, and I love this because I love the chance to do anything, what I call unexpected, and. Yeah. I, I don't think you'd ex- expect... I was the, an offstage voice of the mother upstairs of somebody who she sort of... Once I got there and I did the audition... uh with a kind of a Brooklyn, you know, accent. And so I'm like, come on, send get me some, you know, some TV dinners. I need a TV (laughs) dinner up here. And so I did that voice, an offstage mom, and it was a, you know, a character throughout the episode. Uh I still haven't heard it. It was on the air, but I... I don't have that series or access to that series. And once they come back up, because they're going into season two very shortly, and they were going to send me the, the scenes that I did. But I had a... I had a ball doing something like that because it it is unexpected, and you wouldn't expect me to be talking that way, <laughs> screaming downstairs. You know, yeah, come on! I, have, I
0: don't think I would have recognized you in that role?
3: <laughs> no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't possibly know that it was me. But I'm I'm sort of proud of that. But yeah, um, I, I I don't. The fallout was a bfd. I know that. Uh-huh. Um, again, I'm not totally. I do the I do the jobs, but then I never hear or know. What the end result is. But I do a lot of voiceovers, and for about 10 to 12 years during the Knotts landing years, I was doing all of Estee Lauder's uh, commercials, uh, Mm -hmm. all their voiceover, uh, with, uh, you know, 30 second spots, um, 60 second spots, and it would be two days solid of work uh, in New York flying back from here in LA and doing All the body of the commercials, Estee Lauder lips, Estee Lauder eyes, the Estee Lauder woman. You know, it It, sounds sounds so familiar. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You'd be very, no, I I hope you're not familiar with that. But if you are, well, good for you. But the thing is, (laughs) it was what I call my perfume voice. Yeah, um, right. And and I did that, and I made almost as much money on that as I was making on Knott's Landing, which was significant. Wow. Because they put me up at the plaza, um, a huge per diem. It was just glorious. And then I would always see a Broadway show or two, whatever I had time for, and then race back here to L.A. to keep filming Knots Landing. But uh, wow. I, I have done a lot of voiceovers, and I love it because you can wear your pajamas. And, you know, <laughs> although nowadays... <laughs> nowadays uh, with Comic-Con and all these things, because my daughter does um, uh, Vanessa Marshall. She does um, uh, Star Wars Rebels and Ga- Guardians really? of the Galaxy. She was doing Zoe Saldana's part in Guardians of the Galaxy. She's at an event in Boston, as we speak, that John Travolta is at today because uh, he has a new movie coming out, and these huge conventions like Comic-Con um, – you know, bring in a lot of animation voiceover people to do panels and you know sign autographs and whatever it is they do at Comic Con. I've never been at those things, but I'm right. so proud of her because she's doing the leads in so many of these animated series and and uh, and great. doing very very yeah very well. Vanessa Marshall is her yeah, name. Yeah,
0: we will have to look her up. Thank you.
3: Yes, yes, um, please. Too. Uh, just a question
0: about your voiceover work—is maybe uh. The W.C. Fields impression that you did in The Last Dinosaur, one of your famous voices that you can do?
3: Did I do that? Tell yeah, me. He I, said, mean,
0: I, I think you said something to the effect of, why don't you come up to my room and see me, big boy, or something like that to Richard oh Boone. My,
3: oh my God, I didn't. <laughs> see, that's the thing. I went to my office to try to find whether, first of all, I had a poster, because I did another called film, because The Last Dinosaur is kind of a cult film. It's such a, yeah. to me, it's such a, such a joke. I'm not yeah. trying to put it away. I'm just saying there were so many little things that happened behind the scenes which I will share. But, I would love to. Yeah, no, for sure. But uh, the other film that I did like that was called Frogs which I where I played opposite Sam Elliott, who's no gosh. slouch. But, uh, it was Frogs and it was um, Was it about uh, killer frogs? Pardon me?
0: Was it about killer frogs?
3: Yes. Says, <laughs> frogs. No. Here was the here was the ta- not tagline, but the logline. Frogs. Today the pond. Tomorrow the world. Oh
2: And the frogs boy. were supposed
3: to take. Yeah, the frogs were supposed to take over the world. And Sam Elliott and I were the only two characters that survived the movie because we were the two characters that sort of drove off in the sun into the sunset. You know, um to have a, you know, probably continue the rest of their lives together. And that's, that's pretty good company. I'll, I'll go with Sam Elliott anytime, <laughs> anytime. Yeah, <you> sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's good by me. But what? Ray Miland, Ray Moland, who had won an Oscar and was one of my father's favorite actors, when I was offered the part and heard that Ray Miland would be my grandfather in it, um, I said yes for sure uh hmm. because because I knew my father was such a fan and I wanted to do that kind of for him. Okay. So, anyway.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, um you know, I I don't know if uh did we told you in an email or not, but this is one of those things for me that as a little kid, um 31 years old now, but as a little kid, um I grew up watching The Last Dinosaur I had it on VHS. Uh, I watched it over and over and over again. Um and I thought it was just the most incredible movie I'd ever seen. Um, and then about 20 or so years passed, and I was at my mother's house cleaning uh, things out, I found the VHS tape, I brought it home and watched it, and was uh pretty pretty surprised at um, the quality of some of the uh, parts of the film
3: <laughs> meaning meaning a little a little gray area there
0: is that? <laughs> uh, let's say sometimes I was laughing uh, with everybody, sometimes I was laughing at everybody. It was a healthy mix of both.
3: <laughs> well, let me tell you, the, the funniest kind of memory when I knew I was going to be talking to you about this was there was a scene, and I have it, like, you know, tattooed in my brain. Sort of, the There was some river scene where they had turtles going up the river, or somehow there were turtles right. involved. You
0: were standing on a large turtle that started to move, and you, like, had to jump off into the water.
3: Okay, but let me tell you something. These turtles, quote, end quote, yeah. were little short Japanese guys underneath the turtle, listen to me, underneath the turtle shell going in the, water? Ding, 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 in the water, underwater. And we had to do the scene quickly because they couldn't breathe, you know, past a certain, I don't know, maybe a minute if we were lucky. But they were little guys moving Upstream with a turtle shell over their head to try to be these turtles in the water. Is unbelievable! And it, it is unbelievable. I mean, that was my first image and memory and thought about what I would share. Plus, the other thing for this diva is uh-huh. <laughs> um, it was a William Morris package. So they 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 cast like the director, they cast me. they had offered it to Candice Bergen uh oh, first wow. off and, and she wisely passed on it. <laughs> and I thought, no, this'll be a trip to Japan. Um Richard so Boone filmed, who was
0: they filmed it all yeah, in
3: Japan. Well there were so many sort of side wonderful things and and Richard Boone who was starring in Paladin, which was again another favorite of my father's um hmm. uh, another favorite television show of his. So Richard Boone was a you know an icon in my father's eyes and therefore, you know, it, it tweaked my interest even more. Um, but, but traveling there, and and uh, they put us up initially in Tokyo, but then we went to the uh, Kamikochi mountains, which is where the mo the body of the film was shot. Right. There, it was rainy season. Why they would book a film shoot? It did look the, pretty
0: rainy. <laughs> it looked pretty it dark. Was
3: Awful, and then I find out, because this diva is all about, to a fault, hair and makeup. And the the hair and makeup girls were maybe 13, 14 years old, dark, dark hair, you know, jet black hair, never seen a blonde. I feel like they had never seen a blonde in their life before. They looked at me with bug eyes, and they were, God bless them, but they were useless because they are like teenagers who I'm sure this was their very first job. So how was I to rely on hair and makeup in the rainy weather with you know 14, 15, 16 year olds? I I, I don't know. That was that was another shock. Well, the done other thing, Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the the other thing was the food. There is like squid, octopus, uh, yeah, and in this kind of bare bones Spare hotel where they put us up. Tokyo was amazing. We landed there, and and but that's not where it was filmed. But that hotel was to die for, and you know that was fine. But when we went to the location, which was like an hour, or two or three out of out of Tokyo, um, this spare hotel had nothing but you know raw octopus or whatever the heck, uh, seaweed. Probably that's healthy, but I wasn't interested. So I lived on during the whole shoot these huge. Fuji apples. They were these kind of huge uh, yellowish green apples, which were unbelievable. They tasted more like a pear. They were Mm. unbelievable. And that was my diet because to get into that, you know, squid, octopus, seaweed salad was not Something I, you know, it just just to look at it or smell it just kind of turned my tummy. But um, the apples, the apples were fine, and I tried to find them once I got back to L.A. They were they're pretty difficult to find stateside. But that that was the diet.
0: You'll have to get them imported.
3: I think so, but I thought no, Joan, you, you did that, been there, done that, you know, got the t-shirt, so, um, <laughs> so that wasn't so- necessary.
0: I know some of the things uh, about the production that um, there were, uh, you know, that uh, Toho, the company that essentially made all the Godzilla movies, they came in and wanted to do the effects, and um, I know that it was supposed to maybe go to the theaters originally and then ended up going straight to TV, I believe, and straight to VHS eventually. Um, did that disappoint you at the time? Did you think that that was going to be a big picture, that that was going to be in cinemas, or...?
3: No, listen. When I was over there and doing the work and uh, you know? all the things, uh, well, I no, I didn't know, but it didn't occur to me. I was trying, fighting for survival. Yeah, I, you well, know, I, I, I accepted this partly for my father in a way, and other, uh, the other thing was they flew both my husband and me. My husband's an NBC News was uh, retired now, but uh, NBC News reporter, mm-hmm. and they flew both of us over it was all first class in terms of getting us there and putting us up as best they could in the Kamakochi mountains but um which was you know bare bones but it was an experience and i no i, I never took a thought to myself oh wow this is going to be a big feature cuz it it just didn't smell like that you know right. it just i i knew I took it for the experience and going to Japan because I'd, I'd never been. So not at all. In fact, I, I have to say that some TV efforts are as good, and particularly now this is true, some TV ep- efforts are way better and more exposure, et cetera, than than movies of because uh, the, the television audience is huge. And so that that didn't bother me at all because once I survived it and came home, I thought I was lucky to still be alive and in one piece because it was just one one sort of crazy fiasco thing after another. And there's something else I don't know whether or not to share because I love this man and he is and was wonderful, but we had to get all the major stuff before noon with Richard Boone or his liquid lunch uh met, meant that shooting in the afternoon would not be terribly cohesive um, so all all the stuff of his had to be quickly done because he his wife would pack a very thin sandwich and there was a bottle of vodka in his little lunch tote and if we didn't get the shots if we didn't get the shots and the heavy scenes with him before noon we were toast
0: I, I got to say, Joan, as a casual viewer, I can see uh, just from at first glance, I could guess that maybe that was the case uh, with Richard Boone at that point in his career. God bless him. He had a, an incredible career. Um, he seemed like an incredible man. But I have to ask, um, what was it like working uh, with him? And, and was he as um, mean to you as he was to your character, Francesca?
3: Well, no, not that. But But as he got... As the day went on he got crabbier. Richard Boone got crabbier. He seemed
0: extremely crabby in almost every shot of the movie. He seemed upset.
3: <laughs> no, you know what? I think I've got to watch this. I I think I did watch it once maybe. I don't know. Oh. Sometimes I do. I do stuff and I don't I don't want to see it. It's like if I do a play, if they've taped it, I I, I don't know. I have to be very brave to see if I know it wasn't fantastic i, I just don't see it because um, no. i know no. i'm I'm on the set, and I want every with every frame to do the best I can possibly do, but this was so fraught with so many compromises, so many compromises as an actress um uh, just in the in the conditions with the rain and the bad weather and crabby richard and and also <laughs> stephen <laughs> keats Stephen <laughs> Keats, God bless his soul. I loved him, but he was nuts. He is nuts, and there are phrases I can't because they are very off color, but he would always be – well, I can't, but he he was doing one-liners that were hysterical, but – but weren't like you know heavy duty actor trying to you know stay in character and all those things he was just nuts and right. i loved him because right. he made me laugh and that's what that's the most important thing of all but some of these scenes were serious and we had to you know get the shot before <laughs> a complete monsoon uh right. happened but uh, so so that was a challenge too but god bless him cuz he's no longer with us either which kills yeah. me Oh, and Bunta, Bunta the oh, tracker, yeah. you know. Oh my God! Let me tell you, this guy. God bless him. He's what six ten, uh, yeah. a basketball player for the Knicks, for the Sixers, for, uh, you know, all kinds. Of his his resume was with many wonderful basketball teams, and that's my favorite sport on the planet. But he and my husband, he said that he was on the airplane flying to Japan when he had the script in his lap reading it on the plane and realized his character no didn't line. have no. one single line <laughs> didn't have one single line of dialogue nothing at all in the entire script and he said oh my god he didn't know that his character was completely mute and and he didn't have to learn a line. So he and my husband pretty much spent the time drinking Asahi beer and having the best time of their lives. I mean, those two were the best buds. And that's they were carrying on. Yeah, they were laughing and having a great time while the rest of us were on all fours, try, you know, trying to go against the wind and the rain uh, filming.
0: That's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask about Bunta, if you had any experiences with him. Um, And uh, I I do want to say one thing, um, just right off the bat, uh, that, you know, you were saying it's tough to go back and look at your work, um, especially if it's not the best. But I think both my co hosts and I can objectively say that you were... Definitely the best actress and actor uh, in the film, and that you looked great, and your performance was great, and we really enjoyed uh, you most of all. Even though we knew we were going to talk to you, that didn't guarantee that it was going to be a a home run uh, for your performance, but in this case, we really did enjoy what you brought to the movie, and your character was very funny, and you could see your sense of humor. Now that I talk to you, I see that your sense of humor was really the core of that character more than whatever was in that script, so... If you uh if you and your daughter ever want to split a glass or a bottle of wine and watch something that may make you laugh and give you a good time, uh I do suggest watching The Last Dinosaur again.
3: <laughs> well, maybe I should, but then where would I even I don't think I have where would I even find it?
0: You'd have to go on Amazon, I believe uh there it is on DVD now, um or eBay. Really? VHS tape of it. Um uh but I think it is available from uh Ten or twenty years ago, I think they put it on DVD for a time. Um, so you know, oh, okay. if, if you or your agent is bored and wants to go scrolling through the internet for one of your classics, it's it's out there. <laughs>
3: oh wow! Well, then you know maybe maybe I'll do that. I don't. Well, know. you know what, Jim?
0: Do you do you have a VHS player?
3: Uh, yes, I think we do. I, I can always I You can it.
0: always mail it to you if you wanted.
3: <laughs> well, you know, uh, 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 like a copy of it, or how, how would you yeah, do that?
0: Yeah, I would be honored if you could have my copy of The Last Dinosaur. I can mail it to you on VHS. Oh,
3: wow. <laughs> well, you know, maybe I would do that to just watch it, and then I can return it back to you.
0: Yeah, maybe you call know, but, me and Tell me what you think about it.
3: <laughs> okay, okay, because... Um, um, you know, uh, uh, the, there's somehow, a, I have a feeling maybe I never saw the whole thing. I don't know. Um, I, I think they released it, what, within a few months of, of editing it or what? Because th- uh, there were things that happened, as I say, too, where yeah. because of the weather, <coughs> excuse me, because of the weather, um, they would have to, you know, get, we'd have to get inside tents or somewhere to sort of just protection from the weather and then we would have to film it you know later in the day or at a different time that than it was scheduled and um because of that uh the the hours were insane and Ooh. arthur rankin who was the producer one of the two producers right. he would call and say please joan can you give us a break i know it's doesn't give you your turnaround which means enough time to wash your makeup off go home and sleep for hopefully eight hours and turn around and come right back but this phrase between the director and all of us was do it for arthur well it was do it for arthur meaning you'd get no sleep or you'd trim your turnaround or whatever it was just to get this film in the in the bag and uh many nights and days and times that would that would happen, and it was the phrase on the set was, well, do it for Arthur. Hmm. Um, so so that that was kind of tricky and, and difficult, too, as a matter of fact.
0: Um, you alluded to there being a lot of complications. We, are most of those around kind of the director's switch in the weather, or was there any other uh, hindrances to making this movie that you wanted to talk about?
3: Well, just bare bones, you know, because I'm not saying we're spoiled, here in the United States and, you know, when we have a crew and a director and a script that is – I'm not going to say A-list, but but just, you know, when you're here – it's different, and your, your accommodations are great. You're uh, a honey wagon. I think lots of times it was behind the bushes and behind the trees if you had to relieve yourself, I shall say. So everything was, you know, everything was, was, you know, cutting corners on steroids because it, it just – we were out in the wilds, and that's what makes the look of it right.
2: Yeah. But
3: – it, but not easy on the actors and even though that's a lot of years ago once a diva always a diva and i was thinking god <laughs> you you just you have to sort of make a joke of it and laugh with it because you you can't change it you're over there that's it but i also want to say this on on the producers behalf mm-hmm. god rest some of their souls because i know arthur rankin is no longer with us but um their rap party which took place back in Tokyo because there might have been a rap scene or something that was more cosmopolitan and more urban than the body of the film. Once we were back in Tokyo again and there was a rap party, it was first class. I mean, there was caviar, there was vodka, which I – maybe that was in honor of Richard. Uh, but the, <laughs> it was a – uh, yes, it might have been a toast once again to Richard uh-huh. Boone, God bless God bless him but and but there was really the most lavish classy wonderful rap party in the hotel which was first class in Tokyo so that was kind of a, a nice period on the sentence i, I have to say
0: hmm. um well it sounds like you got a good trip out of it and some good memories at the very least so it's totally
3: one one hundred percent correct on that totally one hundred percent memories and and kind of credit to stand beside this man who was an icon yeah. um though though it was toward you're you're accurate when you say toward the end of his career, and so maybe yeah. he was a little. La, uh, you know, a little more um, lax on the rules of decorum as an actor on the set. Right. You know, hang in, <laughs> hang in there until they say it's a wrap. But he had, from noon from noon on, it was a wrap for him. <laughs> so anyway, That's
0: funny. Um, I did want to ask you as well. Um, uh, our, uh, my co-host is a tremendous Mash fan. Um, kind of lit up on his radar as soon as uh, he, we knew that we were going to be talking to you, that um, you were in uh, an episode of MASH. Um, season 2. Uh, of Season 2. He's he's correcting me right now. Radar um, report. Radar's report. he says.
3: Um, Lieutenant Erica
0: Johnson. <laughs> oh, he says you were Lieutenant wow. Erica Johnson. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, got <laughs> I, have a
3: show, I have a photo of that, as a matter of fact. Somebody sent it to me, and I loved it so much because it was with um, – uh, Alan Arkin and and it uh, it was it's a the reason I love it is cuz there's a connection you can actually see in the photo because Alan Arkin just took care of me like crazy cuz the director was a little strong he was just very I I, I don't know it, it hurt my feelings a lot he was very uh, a little bit mean is the only way I can say and and Alan you know would translate for me because Joan you know, he had an edge, the director, and 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 Alan, you know, helped me and guided me, protected me. He he almost became my director on it. It was a very loving, tender actor to actor vibe that I will never forget, and I I I'll be always, forever grateful for his, in a way, protecting me from just feeling, oh my God, I should go home, hmm. you know, because he was very. I don't know, not abusive but just not empowering. Right. Not empowering. Hmm. So but yes, MASH, that was a thrill because you know, that's that's television history without a doubt. Of course. Um, yeah.
0: Is there uh is there anything else um uh from your career that you felt like is a highlight or you're particularly proud of that you wanted to mention or talk about something um Well I will say
3: well okay, here here's something that I feel is kind of important and I, I I can't believe I'll be saying this, but in right. December, uh in December of this year, <coughs> um in December, oh, hold on. <coughs> I'm getting all choked up about it. Um <coughs> in December in December of this year, it will be the 40th anniversary of knots landing uh um having gone on the air because it was 1979 and um uh, that's the year we filmed the pilot, uh, and it went on the air in December. And there's gonna be, you know, a little bit of hoop-de-la about that, because I did a show called Dallas, Dallas. and I was a, one of the Ewings, married to Gary Ewing, Valine, poor Val. <laughs> and so the, Ted Shackleford and Joan Van Ark were the spinoff characters from Dallas, and for 14 years, there was a show called Knott's Landing. And so this December is the 40th anniversary and there will be, you know, a, a bit of hoop-de-la about, about all that. So I'm, I'm kind of proud of, of that that's, uh, that's coming up. And I'm also very proud to have been a part of Dallas because to be near the one and only Larry Hagman was a gift. You know, he was hmm. an extraordinary, wonderful, crazy, little boy-like, uh, and an iconic uh, television and film actor, so I was very proud to be beside him.
0: Um, yes, I actually uh, am I'm currently playing in a band, and um, when I told my friend Stephen, who plays in my band, uh, that I was interviewing you, he lit up right away and said that him and his mother always watched *Not Landing, and that was one of his favorite shows when he was a kid, so he immediately knew who you were, so that was really a, a treat.
3: Well, yes, it was, uh, you know, it's a family. I saw Michelle last night, Michelle Lee, who was on Knots Landing, too. And, mm-hmm. and I, uh, we all, because that's a lot of years. I mean, that's one of the five uh, longest-running series ever is Knots Landing. Um, but new ones like, um, what's the one that just uh, – There was one that's, The Big Bang Theory has taken away all the records. I think that was on for like 18 seasons or something huge, humongous. But Knotts was on for quite a while. So we, we literally were uh, joined uh, forever as a family, as a, a work family. And sometimes when you're doing a series and it's long running, you see the, your fellow actors more than you see your own family because there are long days of filming and uh you're you're sharing a lot of time and scenes and memories and funerals and weddings and all kinds of things with your cast members.
0: Right. Well that's incredible, John. Sounds like that's quite an experience. Maybe we'll see a not landing uh reunion or revival since they bring everything else back in this world, right?
3: Well, you know, I, I must say too, I've I'm baffled. You're one hundred percent right, and I'm baffled why in fact there hasn't been an attempt toward a reboot. Now, the current, uh, soaring, wonderful, uh, you know, reboot, if you will, is 90210. And Tori Spelling, with her father's talent for pulling things together, uh, they are sort of playing heightened versions of themselves trying to reboot 90210. So it's a new take. Instead of just doing their characters, they're doing kind of a, uh, you know a shadow of the actor themselves and the character they played and i thought that would be an interesting thing with knots landing because there, there was quite a group you know cast that was together and it feels like we are ripe for having a reboot but there hasn't been any uh you know activity on that or or in inquiries or any of it so i don't know will... i know i know so maybe maybe it's ahead <laughs> um there was one other thing one other thing because this afternoon I'm a member of the Directors Guild and this mm-hmm. afternoon um I am going to a little bit later uh going to a screening at the DGA of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood wow. which is the new yes and Quentin Tarantino and their entire amazing crew and actors, which are Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, were at the foot of our driveway. We have a long 450-foot driveway. And down at the bottom, in the cul-de-sac that we live in, which is such an echo of Knotts Landing, because that took place in a cul-de-sac. But I live in a cul-de-sac, and they filmed Leo DiCaprio's house for his character. was one of the houses in our cul-de-sac. Next door was the Sharon the Sharon Tate house, which Margot Robbie filmed all her stuff in, so I can't wait to see this film this afternoon. That has all these amazing people, Quentin Tarantino, and and you know all these wonderful people in the thing, is shooting right at the foot of our driveway. It was like a a, a one month shoot with the most amazing equipment and lighting night for night with this humongous tent that filled the entire cul-de-sac, which is a huge cul-de-sac with like uh, one, two, three, four houses. And they covered this thing with a white light that made it look like a very lush night. And and, and many of the scenes were night for night. They were filming all night long. Quentin Tarantino was was familiar with me because he was a huge fan of Frogs. And I ended up. Yes, listen. He walked over to me because one night I tiptoed down because I'm a night owl. If I don't have to get up early and be Joan Van Ark, I'm I'm up all hours. And I went down to see one of their night shoots. Stood behind some equipment because I just didn't you know want to be. I didn't want to distract or have him upset that somebody was watching their filming. But he came over to me, Quentin Tarantino, and he said, "I know who you are." He said, "I loved frogs." He said it's one of my favorite films. Bottom yeah. line is, I went back up to my office and the next day or so, I gave Quentin Tarantino, I have a huge poster of frogs. And it's, yeah. it's this thing that says today the pond, tomorrow the world, and it has a person <laughs> cra- it has a person crawling out of the frog's mouth. And I gave him my huge poster saying, you know, I wanted you to have this. A fan had given it to me as a gift and it was you know the size half it's a huge movie poster and I I gave it to Quentin Tarantino and I feel kind of sad that I did but you know if he really loved it because he's a movie buff like nobody's business yeah and so anyway he has my poster but I can't wait to see that this afternoon
0: that's going to be incredible and that that is an incredible story thank you so much for sharing that
3: yeah, no. This is a this is a first. I have not shared that piece of information with with anybody. But I'm 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 proud that I met him, talked with him. He was so complimentary, and um, I, I just wanted him to have that poster. So, but now I have not second thoughts. I just I do miss it. There's a hole in my in the wall on my office from from no poster there.
0: Maybe you'll have to fill that with the last dinosaur poster, or just a picture yes, of Richard. Exactly. Ruth.
3: Yes, exactly. A blow-up shot of Richard <laughs> Richard Boone and a vodka bottle. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly,
3: well, Joan, thank
0: exactly. you. We, On behalf of me and my co-host, we want to thank you so much for reaching out to us. This was absolutely fantastic, like a dream come true for us. Uh, we've been working really hard on this podcast, and this is probably our favorite thing we've done. So really thank you so much for your time.
3: Well, you're more than welcome, and to your partner, your partner in crime. There, uh, uh, thank you for watching Mash and liking <laughs> it, and uh, put this together and make it a, a prize winner.
0: <laughs> oh wow, what a stirring conversation that was! I'm stirred. I did that for you. You did what for me? Made that interview happen. Yeah, and I did the interview. Yeah. You were terrified the whole time. You I was were, just letting you have it. No, dude. you were scared. What are you talking? You were scared. Of? You were just doing said, a good job. You time. whispered in my ear. You were like, "I'm really frightened right now." And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "You were like, you were like, okay. I threw up earlier. I feel really yeah. weird right now." Um,
1: I um, I sat there at one point, and I was I wanted to try to take a picture, but I didn't want to move the recorder. Where I was I, your face, you looked like when like I see a kid enter Six Flags when it first <laughs> when it first opens at nine a.m. I saw the gold bright, happening, dude, man. Like, like you just your mouth agape smile like she mentioned Tarantino and you were just like shining. It was just gold, yeah. man. You were like yeah, this she's is a, golden. This is a woman like you know when you're a kid and you see these movies and, like you know you, you get you get a crush on the actress. I could see you were, uh, Joan, I feel you're like... you're seeing right through me now. I feel I feel like we're friends now. Like I we're think all we friends, with Jones. I feel like I Joan, feel like... If you're
0: listening to this, I I want to send you my copy of The Last Dinosaur and uh, maybe my headshot. <laughs> you should send your novel. Yeah, I should send you my novel, Joan. I wrote a very sad novel, which uh, <laughs> uh, I'd love you to read. Um, anyway, uh, on behalf of the Movie Blues podcast, this is our last dinosaur special. Do you have any more thoughts before we head out?
1: No, should we? Do you think we should address like how how the season's going to come to an end? I think
0: it's going to be a surprise. But spoiler alert: we're going to do another James Bond movie. It, bitch, yeah. baby. <laughs> so
1: how many episodes are left? We are. We we're going to do
0: one more, and then the finale. This is uh, this is nine. This is right is now. nine. So next time 10, ten. So why would the finale be eleven? One more, 11, and then And the then
1: finale. it's the finale. Yeah. Okay, and then we already have next season planned, too.
0: We got a lot of interesting things coming up, folks. Big things
1: are coming. So, um, Joan, if you have any, anyone you can hook us up with
0: for some guests. Joan, if you know anyone who's been in the Fast and Furious movies, we're going to need a lot.
1: I assume you're now on a first-name basis with Quentin Tarantino, so we will take his number. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, people, have a good one. We love you.